Section 12 of Historic Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carmen H. Historic Girls. Stories of Girls Who Have Influenced the History of Their Times by Elbridge Streeter Brooks. Elizabeth of Tudor, the Girl of the Hartford Manor. Afterward, Queen Elizabeth of England, the Good Queen Bess, A.D. 1548. The iron-shot hoofs of the big grey courser rang sharply on the frozen ground, as beneath the creaking bows of the long-armed oaks, Launcelot crew, the Lord Protectors, Flitters, Corsermen, galloped across the Hartford Fells or Hills, and reined up his horse within the great gates of Hartfield Manor House. From the Lord Protector, he said, and Master Avery Mitchell, the feudary, who had been closely watching for his same corsaman for several anxious hours, took from his hands a scroll, on which was inscribed, To Avery Mitchell, feudary of the wards in herds at Hellfield House, from the Lord Protector, these. And next the corsaman, in secrecy, unscrewed one of the bullion buttons of his buff jerkins and taking from it a scrap of paper, handed this also to the watchful feudary. Then his mission ended. He repaired to the buttery to satisfy his lusty English appetite with a big dish of pasty, followed by ale and wardens, as certain hot pears used chiefly for cooking were called in those days, while the cautious Avery Michel, unrolling the scrap of paper, read, In secrecy, this, under guise of murmurs, Place a half-score good men and true in your yule-tight masking. Well-armed and safely conditioned, they will be there who shall command. Look for the green dragon of Wantley. On your allegiance, this from you be too. Scarcely had the feudary read, re-read, and then destroyed the secret and singular missive, when the ho-hello of her grace the princess outriders rang on the crypt's December air and there galloped up to the broad doorway of the manor-house a gaily costumed train of lords and ladies with huntsmen and falconers and yeomen following on behind central in the group flushed with a hot gallop through the wintry air a young girl of fifteen tall and trim in figure set her horse with the easy grace of a practised and confident rider her long velvet habit was deeply edged with fur and both curter and headgear were of a rich purple tinge, while from beneath the latter just peeped a heavy coil of sunny golden hair. Her face was fresh and fair, as should be that of any young girl of fifteen, but its expression was rather that of high spirits and of heedless and impetuous moods than of simple maidenly beauty. Tilly Wally, my lord, she cried, dropping her bridal rein into the hands of a waiting groom. It was my race today, was it not? Odds fish, man! She cried out sharply to the attendant groom. Yea, easier with Roland's bridle there. One beast of his gentle matter were worth a score of clumsy warlords like to you. Well, said I not right, my lord admiral? Is not the race fairly mine? I asked. And, callous in act as in speech, she gave the lord admiral's horse as she spoke so sharp a cart with her riding whip as to make the big brute rear in sudden surprise and almost unhorse its rider while an unchecked laugh came from its fair tormentor 
good faith mistress answered sir thomas seymour the lord high admiral gracefully swallowing his exclamation of surprise your ladyship hath fairly won and sure hath no call to punish both myself and my good slim here by such unwarranted chastisement will your grace dismount and vaulting from his seat he gallantly extended his hand to help the young girl from her horse while on the same instant another in her train a handsome young fellow of the girl's own age knelt on the frozen ground and held her stirrup but this independent young maid would have none of their courtesies ignoring the outstretched hands of both the man and boy she sprang lightly from her horse and as she did so with a slight and sudden push of her dainty foot she sent the kneeling legs frowning backward while her merry peal of laughter rang out as an accompaniment to his downfall without your help my lords without your help so please you both she cried why dudley she exclaimed in mock surprise as she threw a look over her shoulders at the prostrate boy are you there beshrew me though you do look like one of goodman roger's docking cocks in the poultry yonder so red and ruffled of feather do you seem there see now i do repent me of my discourtesy you sir robert shall squire me to the hall and lord seymour must even content himself with playing the gallant to good mistress ashley and leaning on the arm of the now pacified dudley the self-built girl tripped lightly up the entrance steps self-built and thoughtless even rude and oidendish we may think her in these days of gentler manners and more guarded speech but those were less refined and cultured times than this in which we live and the rough uncurbed nature of king henry the eighth of most famous memory as the old chroniclers termed the bluff king hell reappeared to a noticeable extent in the person of his second child the daughter of ill-fated anne boleyn my lady's grace the princess elizabeth of england and yet we should be readier to excuse this impetuous young princess of three hundred years ago than were even her associates and enemies for enemies she had poor child envious and vindictive ones who sought to work her harm varied and unhappy had her young life already been born amid splendid hopes in the royal palace of greenwich called elizabeth after that grandmother the fair heiress of the house of york whose marriage to a prince of the house of lancaster had ended the long and cruel war of the roses she had been welcomed with the peal of bells and the boom of cannon and christened with all the regal ceremonial of king henry's regal court then when scarcely three years old disgraced by the wicked murder of her mother cast off and repudiated by her brutal father and only received again to favour at the christening of her baby brother passing her childish days in grim old castles and a wicked court she found herself at thirteen fatherless as well as motherless and at fifteen cast on her own resources the sport of men's ambitions and of conspirator schemes to-day the girl of fifteen tenderly red shielded from trouble by a mother's watchful love and a father's loving care can know but little of the dangers that compass this princess of england the lady elizabeth deliberately separated from her younger brother the king by his unwise and selfish counsellors hated by her elder sister the lady mary as the daughter of the woman who had made her mother's life so miserable she was even in her manor home of hatfield 
where she should have been most secure, in still greater jeopardy. For this same Lord Seymour of Sotley, who was at once Lord High Admiral of England, uncle to the king, and brother of Somerset, the Lord Protector, had by fair promises and lavish gifts bound to his purpose this defenceless girl's only protectors, Master Perry, her cofferer, or steward, and Mistress Catherine Ashley, her governess. And that purpose was to force the young princess into a marriage with himself, so as to help his schemes of treason against the Lord Protector, and get into his own hands the care of the boy-king and the government of the realm. It was a bold plot, and if unsuccessful, men attender and death for high treason. But Seymour, ambitious, reckless, and unprincipled, thought only of his own desires, and cared little for the possible wound into which he was dragging the unsuspecting and orphan daughter of the king who had been his ready friend and patron. So matters stood at the period of our store, on the eve of the Christmas festivities of 1548, as on the arm of her boy escort, Sir Robert Dudley, gentleman usher at King Edward's court, and, years after, the famous Earl of Lancaster of Queen Elizabeth's day, the royal maiden entered the hall of Hatfield House, and, within the great hall, she was greeted by Master Perry, her cofferer, Master Rontian, her yeoman of the robes, and Master Michel, the feudary. Then, with a low obeisance, the feudary presented her the scroll which had been brought him post-haste by Launcelot Drew, the coarser man. What, good master Avery, exclaimed Elizabeth, as she ran her eye over the scroll. You to be lord of Misrule and master of the rivers, and by my lord of Somerset's own appointing, I am right glad to learn it. And this is what she read. Impromise. I give leave to Avery Mitchell, Fieldery, gentleman, to be lord of Misrule of all good orders, at the manor of Hatfield during the twelve days of Yuletide. And, also, I give free leave to the said Avery Michel to command all and every person or persons whatsoever, as well servants as others, to be at his command, whensoever we shall sound his trumpet or music, and to do him good service, as though I were present myself at their perils. I give full power and authority to his lordship, to break all locks, bolts, bars, doors, and latches, to come at all those who presume to disobey his lordship's commands. God save the king. Somerset. It was Christmas Eve. The great hall of Hatfield House gleamed with the light of many candles that flashed upon the sconce and armor and polished floor. Holly and mistletoe, rosemary and bay, and all the decorations of an old-time English Christmas were tastefully arranged. A burst of laughter ran through the hall, as through the ample doorway, and down the broad stair, trooped the motley train of the Lord of Misrule to open the Christmas revels. A fierce and ferocious-looking fellow was he, with his great green moustache and his ogre-like face. His dress was a gorgeous party-coloured jerkin, and half-hose trunks, rough slouch-boots of Cordova leather, and high feathered steeple hat. His long staff, topped with a fool's head, cap and bells, rang loudly on the floor, as preceded by his diminutive but pompous page. He led his train around and around the great hall, lustily singing the chorus. Like prince and king he leads the ring, right merrily we go. Sing hey tricks, trim go tricks, under the mistletoe. 
a menagerie let loose or the most despotic of after-dinner dreams could not be more bewildering than was this motley train of the lord of misru giants and dwarfs dragons and griffins hobby horses and goblins robin hood and the grand turk bears and boars and fantastic animals that never had a name boys and girls men and women in every imaginable costume and device around and around the hall they went still ringing out the chorus sing hey tricks trim go tricks under the mr toe then standing in the centre of his court the lord of misrule bade his herald declare that from christmas eve to twelfth night he was lord supreme that with his magic art he transformed all there into children and charged them on their filthy to act only as such i absolve them all from wisdom he said i bid them be just wise enough to make fools of themselves and do decree that none shall sit apart in pride and ache in self-sufficiency to laugh at others and then the fun commenced off in stately whitehall in the palace of the boy king her brother the revels were grander and showier but to the young elizabeth not yet skilled in all the stiffness of the royal court the yule-tide feast at hatfield house brought pleasure enough and so seated at her holly trim virginal that great-great-grandfather of the piano of today she whose rescue as a musician has come down to us would when buried with her pranks and japes help through some fitting christmas carol or that older lay of the yule-tide mumming to shorten winter's sadness see where the folks with gladness disguised are all a-coming right wantonly a-mumming voila whilst youthful sports are lasting to feasting turn up fasting with revels and with vassals make grief and care our vessels voila the yule log had been noisily dragged into the firing and as the big sparks raced up the white chimney the boss head and the tankard of sack the great christmas candle and the christmas pie were escorted around the room to the flourish of trumpets and welcoming shouts the lord of misrule with a wave of his staff was about to give the order for all to unmask when suddenly there appeared in the circle a new character a great green dragon as fierce and ferocious as well could be from his pasteboard jaws to his curling canvas tail the green dragon of wantley terrified urchins backed hastily away from his horrible jaws and the lord of misrule gave a sudden and visible start the dragon himself scarce waiting for the surprise to subside waved his paw for silence and said in a hollow pasteboardy voice most noble lord of misrule before your feast commences and the mask are doffed, may we not as that we should give good appetite to all, with your lordship's permit and that of my lady's grace, tell each thumb wonderfulling tale as suits the goodly time of you? Here be stuck maskers can tell us strange tales of fairies and goblins, or perchance of the foreign folk with whom they have traffic in Calico and Africa, Bavaria, Peru, and other diverse lands and countries oversea and after they have ended then will i essay a tale that shall cap them all so past belief shall it appear the close of the dragon's speech of course made them all the more curious and the lady elizabeth did but speak for all when she said i pray you good sir dragon let us have your tale first we have had enow of a barrier and peru if that yours may be so wondrous let us hear it even now and then may we decide as your lady's grace wishes said the dragon but methinks when you have heard me through 
You would that it had been the last or else not told at all. Your lordship of misrule and my lady's grace must know, began the dragon, that my story, though a short, is a startling one. Once on a time there lived a king who, though but a boy, did by God's grace, in talent, industry, perseverance, and knowledge, surpass both his own years and the belief of man. And because he was good and gentle alike in condition beyond the measure of his years, he was the greater prey to the wicked wiles of traitorous men. And one such, high in the king's court, thought to work him ill, and to carry out his ends did wantonly awaken seditious and rebellious intent even among the king's kith and kin, whom lie traitorously sought to wed, his royal and younger sister, nay, start, not my lady's grace, exclaimed the dragon quickly, as Elizabeth turned upon him a look of sudden and haughty surprise. All is known, and this is the ending of my wondrous tale. My lord Seymour of Sutley is this day taken for high treason and held to the tower. They of your own household are held as accomplice to the lord Amorous, wicked intent, and you, Lady Elizabeth Tudor, are by order of the council to be restrained in prison wards in this your manner of Hatfield, until such time as the king's majesty and the honourable council shall decide this on your allegiance the cry of terror that the dragon's words awoke died into silence as the lady elizabeth rose to her feet flushed with anger is this a fable or the posy of a ring sir dragon she said sharply do you come to try or tempt me or is this perchance but some part of my lot of miss rules you type mumming look sir only craven sneak behind mask to strike and threaten have off your disguise if you be a true man or by my word as princess of england he shall bitterly rue the day who dares to be fool the daughter of henry tudor as you will then my lady said the dragon do you doubt me now and tearing off his pasteboard wrapping he stood disclosed before them all as a grim sir robert trevitt chief examiner of the lord protector's council move not at your peril he said as a stir in the trunk seemed to indicate the presence of some brave spirits who would have shielded their young princess master fiery beat your wallets then to their arms and at a word from master avery michel late lord of misrule there flashed from beneath the cloaks of certain tall figures on the circus edge of the halberd of the guard the surprise was complete the lady elizabeth was a prisoner in her own manor house and the youth-tide rebels had reached a sudden and sorry ending and yet once again under this false accusation did the hot spirit of the tudors flame in the face and speech of the princess elizabeth sir robert trevitt cried the brave young girl these be but lying rumours that do go against my honour and my fealty god knows they be shameful slanders sir for the wish besides the desire i have to see the king's majesty i pray you let me also be brought straight before the court that i may disprove these perjured tongues but her appeal was not granted for months she was kept close prisoner at hatfield house subject daily to most rigid cross-examination by sir robert trevitt for the purpose of implicating her if possible in the lord amorous plot but all in vain and at last even sir robert gave up the attempt and wrote to the council that the lady elizabeth has a good wit, and nothing is gotten of her but by great policy. Lord Seymour of Sutley was beheaded for treason on Tower Hill, and others implicated in his plots were variously punished, 
but even great policy cannot squeeze a lie out of the truth and elizabeth was finally declared free of the stain of treason experience which is a hard teacher often brings to light the best that is in us it was so in this case for as one writer says the long and harassing ordeal disclosed the splendid courage the reticence the rare description which were to carry the princess through many an awful peril in the years to come probably no event of her early girlhood went so far toward making a woman of elizabeth as did this miserable affair within ten years thereafter the lady elizabeth ascended the throne of england those ten years covered many strange events many varying fortunes the death of her brother the boy king edward the sad tragedy of lady jane grey wyatt's rebellion the tanner's revolt and all the long horror of the reign of bloody mary you may read all of this in history and may see how through it all the young princess grew still more firm of view more self-reliant wise and strong developing all those peculiar qualities that helped to make her england's greatest queen and one of the most wonderful women in history but through all her long and most historic life a life of over seventy years forty-five of which were passed as england's queen scarce any incident made so lasting an impression upon her as when in hatfield house the first shock of the false charge of treason fell upon the thoughtless girl of fifteen in the midst of the christmas revels End of section twelve.